everyone and welcome to Unbossed. I'm so glad you're here. Just as glad to know that Dan Evans is here, is in the house. He is a content creator for Good Morning Bad News on TikTok and the host of Audio Face. Dan, it's so good to have you live on Unbossed. How are you today? Senator, it's always a pleasure to be with you live or prepping to be live. Um, other stories, it's an interesting selection of them, but it's always an honor to be with you. Yeah, thank you. And I, you know, usually when I hear my theme song, I'm ready to go. You know, it gives me a lot of energy, but I am mad. I am really upset right now today because of what is happening to the rail workers. We will get to that a little later in the show. I'm trying to get myself composed. So let's start off with LeBron James on Jerry Jones and Kyrie Irving. LeBron James certainly put the media in their place. He put the hammer on them. Watch this. I was wondering why I haven't gotten a question from you guys about the Jerry Jones photo. But when the Kyrie thing was going on, you guys were quick to ask us questions about that. When I watched Kyrie talk and he says, I know who I am, but I want to keep the same energy when we're talking about my people and the things that we've been through. As a black man, as a black athlete, as someone with power and a platform, when we do something wrong or, or something that people don't agree with, it's on every single tabloid, every single news coverage, it's on the bottom ticker. But it seems like to me that the whole Jerry Jones situation photo, and I know it was years and years ago and we all make mistakes, I get it. But it seemed like it's just been buried under like, oh, it happened. Okay, we just we just move on. Yeah, they can always just move on when it comes to black people. What you just watched was NBA superstar LeBron James checking the media on their bias, on their double standards when it comes to black people in our agency. And I was particularly on the edge of my seat. When LeBron James said to them, I want to keep the same energy. You know, when my people, when things about what we have been going through, people don't keep the same energy. I'm just wondering. You know, a media person tried to jump in, Dan, but LeBron was very quick to say, No, I really don't want to hear nothing from y'all. I'm paraphrasing. I'm doing the talking. And then what people didn't see from the clip that we just played, he made his statements and he walked off. I mean, he totally dropped like 10 mics on them and walked off the stage, did not give them the opportunity to ask him any questions about this. Your thoughts about what LeBron James had to say about the Jerry Jones situation compared to the what they did to Kyrie Irving. Yeah, I'm happy that LeBron James made the stand and I'm happy that LeBron James made it while when you watch the whole thing, carefully not falling within the trap that unfortunately a lot of prominent black athletes are right now, or prominent black celebrities are right now, which is the traps of anti-Semitism. So like he's actually making the point of, listen, I think it's good that we are critical of people not knowing the history and not knowing why we should respect certain things about history in certain situations. Now let's apply this to all situations as much as we can, especially in this obvious situation with Jerry Jones and the old photo that we have here. Now, like, I think the context, like, sure, it's an old photo, but he is literally an owner of a team, right? Like, this, these power dynamics still exist and they're very naked within our society. And so I'm glad that LeBron James is calling it out and also providing an avenue to say we can talk about these. Um, inconsistencies and we can talk about how much further we need to go and making sure that all people get this type of respect in society as much as possibly we can without getting into these horrific tropes of anti-Semitism. Because you're starting to like, especially on a day like this where uh, Kanye is popping off left and right, you're starting to lack for a lot of these figures. Yeah, and he centered black people and that was a safe space for him to be in because anybody who wants to argue him argue with him about the plight of black people, both from a historic perspective and then what's happening to black people right now, they would definitely be out of line and out of order. So good on LeBron. So James was referencing referencing the resurfacing of a photo of a Dallas Cow of the Dallas Cowboy owner, Jerry Jones, at a Little Rock, Arkansas 
desegregation protests in 1957. And as the headline shows, Cowboy, Cowboy's owner, Jerry Jones, discusses photos showing him at a 1957 Arkansas desegregation protest. Jerry, of course, got off easy with a half-ass ridiculous explanation. Watch this. That was, uh, uh, gosh, uh, 60, 65 years ago and uh, a curious kid. Uh, I didn't know at the time the uh, monumental uh, uh, event really that mm -hmm. was that was going on, and uh, uh, I'm sure glad that uh, uh, we're a long way from that. I am, and um, uh, we just. Uh, well, that would remind me just to uh, uh, continue to do everything we can uh, to uh, uh, not have those kinds of things happen. Now, maybe he didn't know at the time, being 14 years old. I'll give him that, maybe. Because the historian in me remembers seeing photographs at lynchings where white adults brought white children to lynchings. Yeah, in the United States of America. 1957 is not that long ago on the historical spectrum. On that spectrum, we acting like this was a million years ago. It was only 1957. So even if we give him the benefit of the doubt, which very few black people ever get, regardless of their status in society, he knows now. He knows now. So how is he going to make amends for that? But Jerry will get off. He'll be able to continue to do as he will with the Cowboys, he'll not have to explain himself for months on end. And he will get to continue to contribute to the type of politicians who are really the antithesis of fighting for justice in all of its forms. Check this out, Cowboys owner Jones donates $500,000 to Abbott's campaign. Texas governor raised 8.8 .8 million in the past month. Democratic challenger O'Rourke raised 10.5 million in October. Yes, the same Greg Abbott who after the Uvalde massacre said it could have been worse. Yeah, that same man. So now why does this continue to happen generation after generation? Could it be the socialized makeup of the United States of, the, of, the, of America, the socialized makeup that disregards and disrespects and dismisses the thoughts, cares and needs of the black community. That really is what LeBron James was getting at when he said, I wanna see the same kind of energy coming from folks when it comes to people transgressing the black community. But that energy was not there. And for some people, it is deliberate. You know, these biases, these prejudices, these anti-black racism, sometimes it's deliberate, make no mistake. And then sometimes it's subliminal, Dan. Yeah, I think the really important <laughs> factor here is this is about power. And Jones has a lot of power in the situation here. He's giving money to campaigns for governor here, like for Greg Abbott. And Greg Abbott, like look at what the, tangible effects he's having for people of color. Like whenever the power goes out in Texas because of a harsh winter, like we might see in the next couple months. That's because of Greg Abbott and the way and Republicans like him and people that like are kept in power like this. And what does that do to the poorest among us, the most marginalized among people who have to be in the situations where they're up in cold houses where heat doesn't work, where services are not coming to them because they've been deemed not deserving of those services because they don't have the wealth. Well, why don't they have the wealth? Because their ancestors were run off of property that they had managed to get they would have been able to pass on and then create wealth from that. So without any sort of acknowledgement from people in power like this, and I'm glad LeBron James is using his power to point some at Jerry Jones, then you can't really get any sort of justice for this. Like, of course, Jerry Jones can't solve all these problems himself, but what is he doing to at bare minimum not continue making it worse for people of color? Absolutely, what is he doing? I want people to watch this. It's always unwise to seek political advice from someone who gets paid $100 million a year to bounce a ball. Oh, and LeBron and Kevin, 
You're great players, but no one voted for you. Millions elected Trump to be their coach. So keep the political commentary to yourself, or as someone once said, shut up and dribble. Oh, sweetness. Yeah, she said that, just shut up and dribble. Check out this headline, 81% of NBA owners Political donations are going to the Republican Party. And we know that today's Republican Party is definitely so far, so far right. And the things that they stand for are so far out of order for the American people. Yeah, right. Let's check this out. Federal Elections Commission records show. NBA owners have made 14.9 million in donations to Republican politicians overall, the ringer revealed. Furthermore, five NBA owners have contributed directly to President Donald Trump. The Los Angeles Lakers Jim Boos, Orlando Magic's Dan Devos, New York Knicks James Dolan, Houston Rockers Tillman Frittetta, and San Antonio Spurs Julia Holt. Yeah, to a party that is so far right. And to a neo-fascist president, you got these NBA owners doing just that. And so nobody asked any of these people. Here's the point. This is why we brought up these examples today on on Boston. Nobody asked these people to apologize or to distance themselves from being associated with the guy who said this. Not all of those people were neo-Nazis, believe me. You also had people that were very fine people on both sides. And I think any Jewish people that vote for a Democrat, uh, I think it shows either a total lack of knowledge or great disloyalty. This man is about to run for president again for the third time. But again, none of the people that we just highlighted, and there are so many others, again, none of them have been asked to distance themselves or to apologize for making donations to people like Donald J. Trump. Do you see the double standard? Are you feeling the double standard? Do you understand the double standard? And this is not new for black folks, no matter what their station in life is, from janitor to superstar. Black folks, generation after generation after generation, have to continue to put up with these types of not just biases. But this type of disparate treatment from the power structure. And in the WNBA, I want you to come down memory lane, walk down memory lane with me. When Kelly Loeffler was defending her seat in the Georgia Senate, Senate Kelly Loeffler continues to rip Black Lives Matter, says she won't sell stake in the WNBA. Do you remember that? But thankfully, thankfully, she lost. To Senator Warnock, who is running right now in the great state of Georgia. We need to help make sure he retains that seat. She happened to be the co-owner of the Atlanta Dream at the time. And she, the players, went off on her, and rightfully so. They did. They stood up. There's a better way for me to frame it. In a letter she sent to the WNBA president, Kathy Eaglebert, Loeffler said BLM was totally misaligned with the values and goals of the WNBA and the Atlantic Atlanta dream, where we support tolerance and inclusion. Instead of having WNBA players wear warm up shirts emblazoned with Black Lives Matter and courts painted with the same message, the Senator urged the WNBA to put American flags on its jerseys as a unifying rallying point for the American people. In other words, the feelings of black people don't damn matter. I mean, that's what she was saying. In other words, just totally disregard. Again, this is a pattern, this is nothing new. And for the black community, these kinds of behaviors, these kinds of power dynamics, it's a dream killer. It's soul snatching, it snatches souls in the black community. And in the immortal words of one of the greatest Cleveland City Council women to ever grace that council, she once said, it doesn't matter if you meant to kill me on accident or on purpose, dead is dead. 
That is exactly it. Whether these things are happening subliminally or on purpose, it doesn't matter. What is tearing apart the soul of the black community, the dreams of the black community time and time again. And what happened to Kyrie is yet another example of how it does not matter how successful you become, how much money or fame you have, you if you are black, the system will control you. It will try to bring you down no matter what if you step out of line and the people who have that power feel as though you have gone too far. We saw it happen time and time again generationally, but one very poignant example is that of one of the greatest, Muhammad Ali, when he refused to fight in the Vietnam War. What happened to him? I'm glad that you asked. I know some of you remember what happened to him. What happened to him is that he was stripped of his title and then sent to jail. Watch this. Go shoot my brother. Uh, some darker people, uh, some poor hungry people in the mud for big powerful America and shoot them for what? They never call me. They never lynched me, they never put no dogs on me, they never robbed me of my nationality, raped and killed my mother and father. What am I going to shoot them for what? How can I go shoot them? Them little poor little black people, little babies and children and women. How can I shoot them poor people? I'm just take me to jail. And he went standing up for what he believed in. So again, many thanks to LeBron James for standing up and making it plain and exposing the media and their hypocrisy. More of us should have the courage to do that. And it was courageous for LeBron to do that, even though he is, he has a large cachet. He is a superstar, we all get that. But for him to stand up and speak truth to power was indeed a beautiful, beautiful thing. And let this be a message to all of us that we all have a role to play in doing that. We don't have to have such a mega megaphone as LeBron James to stand up for what is true, what is right and what is just. And there is no doubt in this country that black people are judged and treated much differently than others. That black people carry a heavier burden than others. And there are so many people from all walks of life who are complicit in this. Jerry Jones, you can make up for what you did as a 14 year old. You have the knowledge now, so do something with it to lift the black community and black people. We'll be right back. We are back, we're going deep on this show. And some of the subjects that we are covering are really some gut wrenching subjects and should cause all of us to search our souls. We're gonna keep doing this on Unboss. Now to my favorite part of the show, which is the viewers. And you all kind of bring me a moment to just exhale and I'm loving it. So here we go, TYT member Jam says, it makes me sick and sad to watch Jerry Jones keep looking at the one black reporter while explaining his anti-immigration protest like, we're good, right? You better go on to say that, O'Jam. O'Jam, Dan, O'Jam picked up on that, didn't, didn't they? I noticed you that too, there's so much going on. But there, there, there's yeah. always one guy, like I always point out in the Trump rallies, the blacks for Trump guy. I'm always looking to his reactions just, just to see, just, just to, to see if I feel anything. Yes, yes. no, O'Jam really got that right. Like, are we, are we good? You speak for all the blacks in the moment, right? Apology accepted, please don't take my team or my money. Ojam, you hit all the nails on the head with that commentary right there. Thank you so much. And on Twitch, TOS Snitch, Toss Snitch says, I love this show. Thank you so much. And we love you for loving the show. And on YouTube, Super Chat, Tay says, I love, love, love you. Keep fighting for justice. We appreciate you so very much for being subscribers and supporters of not just Unboss, but the TYT network. We could not do what we do without you. And speaking of you, we need all of you to remember that Brittany Griner is not free. Send your well wishes, your thoughts and your prayers if you're praying people to her up for her and her family. And if you navigate social media, hashtag we are BG, 
we are BG. That's what the family has been asking for for months for people to just show a solidarity. It is a very easy thing to do. And lastly, don't forget about our sisters and brothers and family and friends in Jackson, Mississippi. Go to tyt.com slash relief, tyt.com slash relief. We really do appreciate you. And we talked about domestic terrorism earlier this week. We got some more for you. This is the year of domestic terrorism. Unfortunately, it is alive and it is well. It is alive and well in the United States. Black people, LGBTQ plus people, Jewish people, people who have migrated to the United States are all facing threats of terrorism on a daily basis. Now, yesterday, the National Terrorism Advisory System shared a bulletin warning various communities of the of an increase to the threat. And here is what the bulletin revealed. The United States remains in a heightened threat environment. Lone offenders and small groups motivated by a range of ideological beliefs and or personal grievances continue to pose a persistent and lethal threat to the homeland. And again, that's coming from uh, coming from the National Terrorism Advisory System bulletin. And here is also more from that bulletin. The, the, the uh, threat actors have recently mobilized the violence, citing factors such as reactions to current events and adherence to violent extremist ideologies. In the coming months, threat actors could exploit several upcoming events to justify or commit acts of violence, including certifications related to the midterm elections, the holiday season, and associated large gatherings. One more point from the bulletin. Targets of potential violence include, include public gatherings, faith-based institutions, the LGBTQI plus communities, schools, racial and religious minorities, government facilities, and personnel, US critical infrastructure, the media, and perceived ideological opponents. Dan, these are really, this, this, this is heavy what this bulletin is laying out here. We are living in some really critical times. Yeah, unfortunately it mirrors bulletins that I've been seeing released around this time every single year for the past couple of years. We're seeing heightened levels of terroristic threats um, that are not the old school style, Oh no, watch out for the Middle Eastern looking person. No, this is homegrown right wing extremist terrorism that targets people in marginalized communities. Not only people who are Middle Eastern, but black people, Asian people, indigenous people, Latinos, like everyone across the board, especially as we've seen recently, unfortunately, with this shooting that we'll be talking about a little bit later in Colorado, people who are LGBTQ plus. And this doesn't all happen by accident. The fact that we were moving towards a path of equality and the fact that we do see little bits of it here and there, like in the Senate passing the bill that should be codifying gay marriage. You see that these things happen in little bits, but just as progress happens, the lack of progress and bigotry happens very purposely. And what you've been seeing over the past year are Republican pundits and therefore politicians who haven't had much policy to speak about, haven't had much of a direction they really want to take the country in. All they really have are fear mongering campaigns about people being canceled, even though they have huge platforms to speak from almost every night. and. Fear mongering about LGBTQ plus people grooming children, even though they have a number of people on their side who seem to be accused of doing things that are adjacent to the same thing. So because of that, you're getting this fear that's coming from society and people are getting extreme and saying that they have to put it into their hands to take responsibility for. And you're getting this extremism. So without people on the left, but not just us on the left, but people who are in the center speaking out about this stuff that it should just be human rights, should just be common sense. You're unfortunately going to see this trend continue. Yeah, it is unfortunate indeed. And let's put up this headline right here, all the points that Dan is making. Accused Colorado Springs shooter praised by online extremists calling for copycat attacks, DHS. The warning comes in a new bulletin issued Wednesday. I mean, this stuff is something else. And I wonder why this is happening. 
let's put up the smug shots of some of the people who add to the vitriol that we're seeing here in the United States. All of these faces, all of these people are engaged in one way or another of spreading hate and amping up a base of people who are predisposed to respond. This next headline is very chilling. Right wing media giant says LGBTQ bar patrons are responsible for their own murders. Tucker Carlson, Matt Walsh, Steven Crowder and more all agree that mass shootings are a reasonable response to non-existent quote child genitalia utilization. Now they are, I mean, they just wrong. This is horrible. It is, it is disgusting It's what it is. And the fact that these people are using their platform for such hate should cause us all pause. Let's put up this data, let's put up these data points. 333 right wing extremist related killings in the last 10 years. 73% of those at the hands of white supremacists. Between 2019 and 2020, hate crimes against black Americans rose by 46%. 57 black colleges and churches were targeted by bomb threats. Really, really reminding me of the good, the, the bad old days in this country. The more things change, the more they stay the same. We all must be, stay vigilant and continue to stand up for justice in all of its forms. We will absolutely continue to follow this story. Oh, the Corporate Crime Database Act. I just feel like, man, we just, we gonna have to lighten up the show a little bit, you guys. But this is really what is happening in this world right now. When lawmakers talk about crime, they often leave out corporate crime in the overall discussion. Three Democrats are hoping to change that, good on them. And we're talking about the corporate crime database. Let's put up this headline, Durbin, Blumenthal, Scallion introduce corporate crime database act. Bicameral legislation would require the DOJ to collect aggregate, analyze and publish comprehensive data on federal corporate criminal enforcement actions. Good on them. Now the act introduced by Senate Majority Whip Dick Durbin of Illinois, Senator Richard Blumenthal of Connecticut and Representative Mary Scallion of Pennsylvania. And here is what is proposed in this particular legislation, the Corporate Crime Database Act. Collect, aggregate and analyze information regarding enforcement actions taken with respect to corporate offenses. Publish a database of such enforcement actions on the BJS website. This is all good, it's a good start. The Corporate Crime Database Act Part 2, establish guidance for collection of that data. Submit an annual report to Congress, including a description and analysis of the data collected an estimate of the impact of corporate offenses on victims and the public, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Really good on them. This proposal comes on the heels of a letter that the trio sent to Attorney General Merrick Garland in October. This is what the letter in part. Currently, there is no comprehensive national data collection on corporate crime. An official federal corporate crime database that presents a complete view of department-wide actions would provide significant benefits for law enforcement agencies, researchers, and the general public. Dan, I think they're off to a, this is, this is pretty solid. Yeah, I like where this is coming from. I haven't been this excited about, uh, wow, I'm a nerd. I was about to say, I haven't been this excited about the government creating a infrastructure for investigating corporate greed, which is a category that I have in my brain. But since the creation of the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, honestly, this is definitely not that size of a thing, but it would be really great to just have a database that people from you know journalists to you know regular employees who just don't want to be caught up for some wild companies can look up and see you know what's been going on and what they're up to i think the more transparency the better especially because you know what to do with this information i think is a tougher conversation and i think this puts that out on the table for people to decide whether you want to you know take more aggressive action in an antitrust way for companies that are repeatedly doing corporate crime or whether you want to take a more hands-off approach like Republicans would almost certainly advocate for. But I think at bare minimum, this is that good old free speech that they love to talk about. So you're going to see right again, how many of these people are 
for no, 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 corporations and you know right wingers get free speech whenever they want to. But if you're trying to hold them accountable or talk about the things they're doing, oh no, 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 no. Let's not even talk about that at all. Don't even raise your voice about that. Let's just this is just capitalism at work here. You don't need to bring that up too much. That's is I let let it all come to light is what I say. Yeah, let it come to light. They would actually say nothing to see here, right? That's what they say all the time. And check out this chart. This is a very telling right here. White collar crime prosecutions from 1987 to 2021. And there it is. And we see a dip. You see that dip in the mid 90s. There's a big, big reason for that. I want you to watch this. By the mid-1980s, as the stock market soared, speculators noticed they could make even more money if they gambled with other people's money, as speculators did in the 1920s. They pushed Congress to deregulate Wall Street, arguing that the United States financial sector would otherwise lose its competitive standing internationally. The final blow was in 1999, when the Clinton administration succumbed to intensive lobbying and ditched what remained of Glass-Steagall. With its repeal, American finance once again became a betting partner. And the voice that you heard is former Labor Secretary Dr. Robert Reich. Nobody distills it down the complexities of economics quite like Dr. Robert Reich. We should bring back the Glass-Steagall Act. And though we cannot use this song on here, Tom Waits has a great line from his song, quote, God's away on business. In which he says, I sell your heart to the junk man, baby, for a buck, for a buck. And that is what has happened here. So good on Senator Durbin, Blumenthal, and Representative Scallion for at least taking this first step forward. Hopefully, they will go a lot further, they being the Congress. But let's just go ahead and try to get this done, shall we? Yeah. Rail workers update. Here we go. So I wanna start off with some good news, which is it was really good for Representative Jamal Bowman to take the lead on the effort to get at least seven days off of sick leave for the rail workers. But you know what, dream killers had to come in and we're gonna get to that. Let's put up this headline, House passes pay sick leave for rail workers despite opposition of 207 Republicans. Now, since we started working on this story earlier today, Things have changed and Dan and I will get to that. But let me just go ahead and on and continue to build up this segment, shall we? In an article in Common Dreams, lawmakers in the US House voted Wednesday by a margin of 221 to 207 to pass a concurrent resolution adding seven days of paid sick leave to a White House broker contract that was rejected by over half of the nation's unionized rail workforce. But the but that President Joe Biden urged Congress to force through to prevent a nationwide rail strike next month. So we know what's happening here. The Congress, the President and the Congress ramming this down the workers' throats again. Thanks to Congressman Bowman for really trying to get at least seven sick days in for the workers. But as fate would have it over in the Senate, something changed. They voted down the seven days. Yeah, they did. I just had to jump right to that. I couldn't I couldn't even hold that, Dan. But I'm gonna put up some voice, some of the voices of other folks, and then Dan and I are gonna have a, a little deeper conversation of this. We got Joshua uh, uh, Jonah Furman. After the House votes to include seven paid days for rail workers, the White House comes out with a statement that doesn't even mention it. So you mean to tell me the pro-labor president in a statement doesn't even mention what Representative Jamal and others were trying to do in the House? Nope, did not say a mumbling word. Both the strike averting resolution and the concurrent resolution adding the seven days left the House and went to the Senate. I already gave you a spoiler alert. I told you already what happened in the Senate. But let's go ahead and put up this headline or this tweet coming from Dr. Heather Gautney. At Joe Biden blew it, Rail Workers United Treasurer Hugh Sawyer said in a statement, he had the opportunity to prove his labor friendly pedigree to millions of workers. Sadly, he could not bring himself to advocate for a lousy handful of sick days. You better go ahead and say that. You, you better just go ahead and say that, and you said just that. Whose side are you really on? When it counts, whose side 
are these elected officials on? These rail workers are putting their lives on the line every single day. They're exhausted every single day. And all they are asking for are sick days, paid sick days, and they can't even get that. Let's put up this next one again from Dr. Heather Galton, putting it out there. Until Monday, administration officials remained engaged in resolving the dispute, but Biden and Transportation Secretary Buttigieg and Ag Secretary Vilsack advised him, meaning advised the president, there is no path to resolve this dispute at the bargaining table and recommended imposing basically the September deal. Leaving the rail workers again out there in the lurch. Why is it that the rail workers have to make the sacrifice? And the owners of these companies don't have to make the sacrifice. I wonder why. Let's put up this from Mehdi Hassan. The rail industry estimates that seven sick, sick days a year would cost them $321 million. But last year, four of the largest rail companies brought it brought in a combined $18 billion would it be. Let's underline it, let's underscore it, put an exclamation point, bold it baby. Message in a bottle, sent on a train. The cost of seven, six days is less than 2% of their profits. Do y'all hear what I'm saying today? These folks are greedy and this is what happen, happens when greed seeps in and it takes over. And the common decency and courtesy that workers deserve is put on the back burner for greed. Unfettered greed. And let's see what my stunt double had to say cuz she had to weigh in on this. She's weighed in several times, but this is what my stunt double said. If rail workers are so essential that they can bring our entire economy to a halt, Maybe, just maybe, oh, maybe, let me just say it one more time. Maybe they deserve some damn sick leave. Dan, your thoughts on this? So many thoughts here. I need to come back to Pete Buttigieg's angle and Secretary Vilsack's angle on this whole why the rail companies are doing this and how greedy they are thing. But let's just talk about the rail workers because this is what it's all about. The workers make the company work. The, the executives, if the executives had to like all of a sudden one day because the rail workers struck, we're like, oh, now we have to go what run the lines like what like make the trains run are you are you out of you after you are you out of your effing mind like they, they would go nuts about that they'd have no idea what to do these come they brag to their shareholders look what i've been able to do look what we've been able to do no it's what the workers have been able to do and what are those workers being treated to how are the workers being treated their jobs are being cut they're supposed to work more and handle more things with less hours like our rail industry is essential for moving goods and services and people across the country and throughout the entire world. So there's absolutely no reason why they can't, seven sick days is the bare minimum. They should be given much more than that. But the political economy surrounding this entire thing, why these rail workers are so greedy. When I see people like Pete Buttigieg and Vilsack going, no, no, let's not give them what they want. Let's go back, let's go two steps backwards for these rail workers. Because reprioritize capital and capital movement among the people who make that capital movement possible. The people who allow the fat cats to sit on that wealth, screw them, let's work them to the bone. This has been happening all year. The thing I've been trying to say is that earlier in the year, uh, these railways were complaining that, oh, we're having these uh, thugs steal things from our trains and we're running out of stuff because we can't handle this crime happening everywhere because these cities are out of control. Turns out, these rail companies decide to downsize in years where they're making record profits by firing the people who guard the trains. <laughs> so, yeah. so they're gonna complain no matter what. They're going to complain about the market conditions, about they can't make, oh, we can't make 50 cents more profit this quarter than we did last quarter. So it's going to be everyone's fault but ours. But at the end of the day, all of that wealth is produced because of the workers and all That's that surplus right. value that they have exists because that these, uh, CEOs and executives keep screwing the workers. So again, what May Hassan said, 2% of that income, Come on. Pete Buttigieg and the Vilsack should be ashamed of themselves. And yeah. I mean, honestly, we know who they are, but Joe yes. Biden needs to really stand up and stand up for labor here.
He should, he had the opportunity, he had one job, just one job in this particular moment, and it is an epic fail. Again, the breaking news, the Senate voted down a deal 52 to 43 that would have granted rail workers just seven days, much less than what they were asking for, seven paid sick days. This was the crux of the rail strike standoff. Rail, rail, Railroad workers in the US do not receive a single paid sick days day. And this is coming from a tweet that was put out by Lauren Curley. So the Senate voted down what Representative Jamal Bowman and others were pushing in the House of Representatives. Shame on these folks. I think it was Maya Angelou who once said, when people show you who they are, baby, believe them. Y'all need to believe these folks. We should be taken to the streets over this. We'll be back after this. Welcome back to Unbossed, reader com- or viewer comments, I should say. TYT member Sexy Speed Racer says, every other union in the USA should also walk off the job in solidarity. I know that's right. Shut this corporate country down. You better say that, power to the people on Twitch. Joe Daddy says, happy to chat, uh, happy to catch today's show. Usually can't catch live, so this it's a treat. Thank you, Joe Daddy, for using your 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 free time today to catch us live on Unboss. We really do appreciate you. And on YouTube Super Chat, Michelle says, power to the people. Give the people what they want. As Senator Nina says, come on, somebody. I know that's right, Michelle. And in the immortal words of Fred Hampton. All power to the people. I'm rolling with you all. Thank you so much for your comments. Thank you for viewing. And as as usual, thank you so much for your support of our show, Unboss, and of our network, TYT. So publications call for the US to drop Assange charges. Watch this. What is happening is not simply an increasing tendency towards authoritarianism in the West. There is a, a, a desire <clears throat> and a method being erected for the United States principally uh, to engage in an extraterritorial land grab through the abuse of law, where it is attempting to apply its jurisdiction to all countries uh, in the world, to reach into other countries uh, and destroy their sovereignty. By demanding that its laws apply to their territory. That was WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange, who was charged by the US government for allegedly hacking into government computers in 2010. Major news publications are now rallying to implore the United States to drop all charges against Assange. Check out this headline. Major news outlets urge US to drop its charges against Assange. In a joint letter, news organizations warned that the indictment of Julian Assange, quote, sets a dangerous precedent, end quote, that could chill reporting about matters of national security. And that report is coming from the New York Times. Let's put up a list of the publications that are out there saying, hey, this is wrong. Don't do this to him. And we can see each and every one of those publications good on them. And here are key quotes from the letter titled, Publishing is Not a Crime. Cablegate, a set of 251,000 confidential cables from the US State Department disclosed corruption, diplomatic scandals, and spy affairs on an international scale. In the words of the New York Times, the documents told the unvarnished story of how the government makes its biggest decisions, the decisions that cost the country most heavily in lives and money. Even now in 2020, journalists and historians continue to publish new revelations using the unique trove of documents. And I, I really think that this is a, a really great development for not just Julian Assange, but for all reporters and researchers across the board. And I'm really glad to see it. Yeah, I'm really happy to see some of the most well-respected, honestly, I respect most of these publications more than the New York Times. But um, some of the most well-respected publications around the world 
uh, in multiple different countries rather kind of signing on to this and showing the imports because these publications, while they are also ridiculed or like hated by, and I'm talking about a pure like, we have their opinions about them outside of the media, but as far as inside the government, there are people who say, oh, we hate when they leak these things about us, we hate when they talk about us. But in reality, the government really needs these papers to focus and work and really, you know, disseminate the messages that they want. So these papers play an important role to the government as well. So it's really good that this is the right audience for the people who might make the dark, who might make the better decision to not set a dangerous precedent with Assange. Yeah, so true. And on April the 11th of 2019, Assange was arrested. So walking people back down memory lane, was arrested in London on a US arrest warrant and has now been held for three and a half years in a high security British prison, usually used for terrorists and members of organized crime groups. He faces extradition to the US and a sentence of up to 175 years in an American maximum security prison. Makes no sense at all. This next, this indictment sets a dangerous precedent and threatens to undermine America's First Amendment and the freedom of the press. Obtaining and disclosing sensitive information when necessary in the public's interest is a core part of the daily work of journalists. If that work is criminalized, our public discourse and our democracies are made significantly weaker. So True, and as you laid out, Dan, it is good that the global, the world is really sounding the alarm about what is happening to Julian Assange. And Brazil President-elect Lula backs Assange as well. And so I want to close this story with a reminder from Assange in 2011. Watch this. A cable gate for the CIA, we need a cable gate for the SVR, we need a a cable gate of the New York Times, actually. Um, all, the, all the stories that have been suppressed and how they've been managed. And once we start getting that sort of volume and concretize uh, and protect um, the rights of everyone to communicate with one another, which to me is, is the basic ingredient of civilized life. It is um, not the right to speak. What does, the, what does it mean to have the right to speak if you're on the moon and there's no one around? It, it doesn't mean anything. Yeah, uh, he spoke the truth there. So let's hope that the engagement of media outlets all over the world will help to change the situation for Julian Assange. We will stay on top of this story. Of this story. WTF GOP Indiana Attorney General. So reproductive rights are still under fire in America, as we know. And just because the mainstream media is not talking about it doesn't mean it is not still happening. The headline or this headline is truly making me say, what the hell GOP? Indiana's AG wants the doctor who spoke of a 10 year old's abortion to be penalized. And yeah, you read that right. And some of you may remember this 10 year old girl is from Ohio, she was raped. And her family had to take her to Indiana for an abortion. And so Indiana's Republican Attorney General Todd Rokita asked the state medical licensing board to discipline an Indianapolis doctor, Dr. Caitlin Bernard. And the complaint alleges that Dr. Caitlin Bernard violated state law by not reporting the girl's child abuse to Indiana authorities and violated patient privacy laws by telling a newspaper reporter about the girl's treatment as if he really gives a damn about that. Dan, I mean, this is just ridiculous. Yeah, I remember covering the story and I remember looking at it because it was one of the more disgusting parts of the end of the ruling of Roe v. Wade. And I just remember from the whole line, like the Indiana government was trying to, along with the Republican Party, distort the story as it was coming out to the best of the extent they could because it looked bad that <clears throat> Indiana was on the record as being on the side of, yeah, if people uh, try to seek abortion, even in the case of rape or incest, we will criminalize them because we see that as murder. And so I'm glad that they are hopefully like, I'm glad the lawyers are resisting in this case and saying, no, no, we understand you're just trying to distort the evidence here and have your side of the story, let the truth come out. 
Yeah, let the truth come out. And the fact that this AG is using his power to go after this doctor, again, tells us everything that we need to know. He's wasting taxpayers dollars in Indiana with this foolishness and mayhem. And Dr. Bernard's lawyers are fighting for her as Dan laid out. Let's put up this. Bernard's lawyers argue Indiana Attorney General Todd Ritka, who is stridently anti-abortion has been spreading false and misleading information about the doctor with his investigation allegations for several months. Bernard and her lawyers maintain the girl's abuse had already been reported to Ohio police and child protective services officials before the doctor ever saw the child. Hello somebody, Dr. Bernard's lawyers stated the following. Though I am disappointed he has put my client in this position, we are not surprised given Mr. Rokita's consistent efforts to use his office to seek to punish those with whom he disagrees at the expense of Indiana taxpayers. And this is exactly what right wingers do best. They they waste taxpayers dollars. What he is doing is wrong, showing no empathy or compassion for the 10 year old girl that was raped. He is on a political rampage against this doctor for no reason at all. And we hope that the doctor and her lawyers win and beat back this insanity. Thank you all for joining us today. With a lot of heavy stories on Unboss, we really do appreciate you so very much. There's a lot of heaviness in the world right now. We must be aware and be in tune and figure out what the collective we can do, both individually and in community, to use our power to make this world a better place. We cannot sit idly by and allow any of these things to happen and not stand up. You know what I want you to do? I want you to keep the faith. I know it is so hard in moments like this, but I really, really do. I want you to keep the faith, but more importantly, I want you to keep the fight. Until tomorrow, take good care. Thanks for listening to Unbossed. If you like the show, then you'll enjoy our other podcasts on TYT Network, like The Damage Report with John Iderola, Indisputable with Dr. Rashad Ritchie and the Young Turks. Make sure to listen and follow, and if you like what you hear, give us a five-star rating.